This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, December 8th, 2013. All I want for Christmas, what the leaders wanted. So good morning, Connection Community Church. It is great to worship with you today. I'm really proud of you guys coming out in this weather so that we can worship and praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? My name's Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. It's a day that you've made, a day that you had in your mind's eye a long time ago. And it's no accident that each one of us are here. You have a certain message for each one. And I thank you. So open up our hearts so that we could could experience that. Help us set aside any, any distractions, any uh, barriers, any of those things that might keep us from uh, knowing you. So settle us in, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, and um, open us up. We pray this in your name, and everybody gathered said, Amen. 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 And so last week, we started our series, All I Want for Christmas. All I Want for Christmas. Last week, we took a look at what the people, the everyday people, wanted for Christmas some 2,000 years ago. Well, today, we're going to take a look at what the leaders of that time wanted for Christmas. And it's a little bit complicated because there, are, there were different types of leaders back then, just as there are today. There were political and military leaders, and there were religious leaders, just as there are today. But each one had a different kind of Christmas wish. Let's start with um, the political slash um, uh, military type leaders, and let's start at the very top. The emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus. What did he want for Christmas? Well, he wanted an accounting of his entire empire. That's what Luke tells us at the beginning of chapter 2 of his book, found in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. Here's what we're told. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. Well, he not only wanted, but he decreed a census. Now that sounds a little more uh, strong to me. I decree a census. Um, and the reason why he wanted it is because he needed to account for everybody for tax purposes. And back then, they didn't go door to door like they do now, or you know, there's this mail order, this mail thing that we fill out. Um, as we shared last week, Mary and Joseph had to go to the town of Bethlehem, which was David's town, since Joseph was a descendant of King David. Again, the primary purpose of the census was for tax. So all I want for Christmas, Caesar Augustus might say, is an accounting a fresh accounting of his tax base in that region because he wanted more money. 
Now, as far as as an awareness of the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, on that morning that we celebrate, December 25th, although it probably wasn't December 25th, it's very unlikely that Caesar Augustus was aware of that at all. Uh, See, the Romans worshipped many, many gods, and the God of Israel was not one of the ones that they worshipped. In fact, Julius Caesar the great uncle of Augustus, who actually adopted him as a son upon his death of assassination, was considered a god himself. He was a Roman god. And so as the heir of Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus therefore was the son of a god. And he made everyone well aware of that. It would have been very unlikely then that Augustus, the son of a god, would have recognized Jesus as the son of God. So that's Caesar Augustus. Let's take a look at another political character of that time, King Herod, also known as Herod the Great. So what did King Herod want for Christmas? We need to give you some background for this one. Even though King Herod was not born, he wasn't a natural Jew, he practiced Judaism, as was the custom of many who co-mingled with Jews. They adopted customs. That's what we do. We adopt one one another's customs. We did a little research on this, and we looked at about.com, and it describes... Herod this way. He was a schemer who took advantage of Roman political unrest to claw his way to the top. Well, some people today might be described as that. Now, there's another uh, place where we looked, Wikipedia, and this is not a good description at all. A madman who murdered his family and many great rabbis. They also describe him as one who prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbounded ambition. He also was described as the greatest builder in Jewish history. So once Herod became king, he launched this ambitious building program both in Jerusalem and the port of Caesarea that was named after Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, Caesarea, and he restored this magnificent Jerusalem temple that was later destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And so Herod, the king that Rome had appointed to this region, what did he want for Christmas? Well, he wanted power, more power, He wanted to retain the power he already had. We're introduced to him and his part in the Christmas story when the wise men or magi from the east enter the picture. In the second chapter of Matthew's book, first book found in the new part of the Bible, the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, we're told that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that the magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And this is what they asked when they got into town. They said, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Well, Scripture continues by telling us that King Herod was very disturbed uh, when he heard this, as was 
uh, the rest of Jerusalem, and he called together the chief priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they told him, because it had been foretold that by the prophet Micah, and we looked at that prophecy last week. And so the Herod then met secretly with the Magi and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He told them then to go on to Bethlehem and carefully search for the child and then to report back so that he too could, yeah, right, worship the child. Yeah. The Magi continued on their way following the star, and when they got to the house, that's what Scripture says, got to the house, they saw the child and his mother. They bowed down, they worshipped him, and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know the story, right? Yeah. And they were then, here's an interesting twist, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, even though he told them to, not to go back and to return home by a different route. So when King Herod realized that the wise men, the Magi, had outwitted him, he was furious. Now remember the description that uh, we heard of Herod? Well, he was so mad that he gave orders that all the boys two years and under be murdered in the vicinity of Bethlehem in accordance with that time frame that the Magi had given. Oh my, that was just horrific, wasn't it? Well, this coincided with the angel of the Lord who visited Joseph after the Magi left and in a dream told Joseph to take Mary and the baby Jesus, the child Jesus, and escape to Egypt because Herod was going to search for the child and kill him. Joseph was an obedient man, and he did just what the angel had told him to do. And later, after King Herod died, Joseph brought Mary and Jesus back to Nazareth. It's an awesome story, isn't it? You know, a little side twist. Uh, biblical scholars believe that Jesus may have been as old as two years old when the Magi actually arrived. And there's some clues as to this, because when you read the scripture, in, that, in, in the Magi story, Jesus is not referred to as a baby, but he's referred to as a child. They're living not in a, they visit him in a house, not in the stable. And the fact that Herod had all the boys two years old and under killed, that's that kind of window from when that star first appeared. So that would give you a time frame that it could have been up to two years old when this occurred. Wow. All I want for Christmas. How would King Herod have answered that? Well, he might have said something like this. All I want for Christmas is to be rid of that threat. To be rid of Jesus, the Messiah. This child who brilliant scholars, knowledgeable astronomers, who come to worship, who traveled great distance to bow down and worship and give gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. All I want for Christmas is to have all the innocent children, two years and under, killed so I can be sure to eradicate this threat to my power. All I want for Christmas. King Herod, 
his Christmas wish was um, horrific. Isn't it something how the, um, the innocent often pay the price for the sins of the others, isn't it? Yeah. So that's two political leaders. What about the religious leaders of the time? Um, truth is, Scripture doesn't really say a whole lot about the priests and the teachers of the religious law at the time of the birth of Jesus. They, uh, they shared with Herod where Christ was to be born when he asked. And when Scripture said Herod was disturbed by the announcement of the Magi that they had come to worship uh, the one-born king of the Jews, it said all Jerusalem was disturbed with them. doesn't tell us who that is, though. Does that mean all the people? Does it mean also the leaders? Does it mean the religious leaders? It really doesn't clearly share, and there's not a whole lot about the religious leaders at the time of Jesus' birth. We do hear about the religious leaders and what, um, what was going on there uh, once Jesus started his ministry. And here's what we find in Scripture, that those religious leaders are fearful. They're fearful because Jesus came and he upset the status quo. And that's what the religious leaders wanted, status quo, don't rock the boat. Now, I think sometime in our churches, that's what we want too. Status quo, don't rock the boat. Oh no, we can't do it that way because we've always done it this way. We're not a whole lot different than the people 2,000 years ago, are we? Jesus did not come to maintain. Jesus came to save. He came to save you and he came to save me from ourselves, from the prisons that we put ourselves in, from the darkness that we find ourselves in. Jesus came to remove that darkness and bring forth light. Jesus came to uh, relieve us of any discouragement and bring hope. And Jesus will do whatever it takes in our lives. Whatever it takes, Jesus will do to draw us close, to help us realize that saving relationship that he came to die and then live for, for you and for me. And back then, he did that, even if it meant challenging those religious people, those regulations and rules that had been built up over all of the years. And so we see Jesus doing things that the religious leaders are upset with because it's contrary to the way we've always done it. We see him sharing a meal with a sinful tax collector. We see him um, uh, allowing a prostitute, a prostitute to take very expensive perfume and rub it on his feet and then wipe it off with her hair. Go figure. Uh, we see him come to the rescue of a woman who's been found to be in an adulterous relationship thrown in the street and, and Jesus turned to the people, stones in hand, ready to put her to death, and say, you who's without sin, cast the first stone. And then as they slowly walk away, turn to her and say, there's no one here to condemn you, not even me. Uh, go and sin no more. <laughs> it was Jesus who, he put his hand on a casket. Now, that was a definite no-no, because... You weren't supposed to touch dead people or anything to do with dead people, and that made him unclean, which was way out of bounds. 
And yet he put his hand on the casket and as a result brought resurrection to the only son of his widow, of the widowed mother there in the town of Nain. And, and as a result brought new life, not just to the son, <laughs> but also to the mother. Now we see... We see a Jesus there in the town square at the well in the middle of the day breaking all kind of boundaries uh, as he talks with a Samaritan woman. Uh, men weren't supposed to talk to women in there in broad daylight. And a Samaritan, Jews didn't talk to the hated Samaritans, and yet he crossed those boundaries in order to offer her the living water that he is, and uh, wow. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, we see Jesus bending the rules, sometimes even breaking the rules if that's necessary in order to share the love of God with the people around him. And um, he had, here to the spirit of the law, because the law was meant to share God's love, even though he didn't always adhere to the letter of the law. And this was very disturbing to the religious leaders at the time, whose job was to maintain those rules, to uphold those rules, to, to enforce the rules. Yeah. And yet they were constantly challenged by this, this rabbi, this teacher, this holy man. You know, if they'd been there at his birth and known what was coming, I think uh, they would have said, all I want for Christmas is for the Savior to do it my way, not his way. Well, there were some other religious leaders who got exactly what they were looking for. There's a guy named Simeon. He's described in the Bible as righteous and devout. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that Simeon would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Isn't that an incredible promise that Simeon did receive? In fact, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple as the law, as the Jewish law required, Simeon, I just put this in my mind's eye, this picture. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Hmm. There was also at the time a prophetess, Anna, 84 years old, still going strong, been a widow for a long, long time, never left the temple. She, uh, she worshiped day and night, fasting and praying, and she came up to them also, Mary and Joseph at that moment, and gave thanks to God and, and spoke about the child to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, there are others that we find in Jesus' uh, 
ministry time. We see Nicodemus, who learned what being born again is all about. We uh, hear about Jairus, who asked uh, Jesus to heal his daughter, and in fact, she was healed. There were political and military leaders. For example, there was the Roman centurion who had a hundred men in his army, and he asked Jesus to heal his servant, and his servant was healed. These leaders, they were not present at the birth of Jesus, but their Christmas wish, what was on their Christmas wish list, might have sounded like this. Well, thank you, God. Thank you, God. It would have been a note of gratitude for sending Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, God, for your saving grace, because that's what they experienced the saving grace, and the mercy of a Savior. There's most likely would have been, thank you, God. Hmm. There's a lot of interesting information there about historical figures and religious, political, and all that, but what's the point? <laughs> well, as always, it comes down to this. What about you? What about you? Which leaders will you emulate this Christmas? Will you, uh, will you be like Caesar Augustus and Herod? Herod, not killing a bunch of two-year-olds, no, no. But Caesar Augustus and Herod caught up in your own agenda, trying hard not to let Jesus get in the way of all the things you have to do and get done by December 25th. Or maybe uh, like um, the religious leaders of the time, uh, Adhering to the tradition. You know, we got a lot of Christmas traditions, don't we? Uh, are you going to adhere to the tradition so much that it maybe keep you from hearing some new possibilities that Jesus has to offer to you? Or maybe, maybe you're like Simeon and Anna, Nicodemus, Jairus, the centurion, and many others, and you recognize this Christmas that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one and only Son of the living God, who came as the bread of life, who is the living water for the hungry and the thirsty in this world born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, and resurrected, overcame death so that we might, if we trust and believe in him, also overcome death and live not just now, but forever in eternity with God. Wow. Awesome. This Christmas, are you going to be like those who believe that Christ is our only hope, that Christ is our salvation, and that Christ did come into the world for you and for me because God loved us too much to let us stay where we are? What do you want for Christmas? Let's pray.
a most holy God. Wow. That's quite a story. You got some real characters in there. I pray that throughout this Christmas season we can be focused on you, your son Jesus the Christ. We can be focused on your saving grace in him that, that you entered the world, walked with us, so that we might realize eternity with you. I pray that each one here will know your saving grace in Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with him. I pray that those who don't today would feel your very presence, would know that you love them enough to sacrifice your only son, who we celebrate his birth here at Christmas, but whose death is what brings us into your glory. I pray each one here will know you in a very new and precious way. It's in Christ and in your Holy Spirit we pray today. All those gathered said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers.